Good to see you all here this morning. My name is Greg Boyd. I'm the senior pastor here at Wilderness Church. Just love that time of worship. Uh, that was just uh, spectacular. It's great to be in the presence of God. That's why we come together on the weekends and then to get a little bit of a teaching. We're going to have a free-for-all Q&A, which we try to do this about three times a year or so. Paul and I will just open the floor to any questions you have about anything, as long as it's about theology and not politics. Thank you very much. Uh, that'll be Tuesday, October 14th at 7 o'clock. So plan on coming there, bring a friend. Really, just uh, throw us curveballs, whatever you want to do. Uh, it's a lot of fun. There you go. Now, we're starting this morning a, um, a series. Uh, it's one of our great adventure series here, a seven-week series out of the book of Luke, chapter 14 and 15. Um, and we have small groups that are formed around this series. We have got some information that Scott will be telling you about a little bit later on. Today's the last day to sign up for one of those groups, so if you haven't done so already, I encourage you to do so because uh, they can go a little deeper than we go uh, on the weekend sermons. You all know that the weekend sermons tend to be a little bit shallow, except for Dwayne last week. Wasn't, didn't he rock? Dwayne, where are you? Wave your hand. He's here. Dwayne preached last week. Appreciate that, brother. Good, good work. But, you know, when I'm up here, it's rather shallow. So this gives you a chance to go deeper. All right, so think about doing that. So this is Scott, and this is me, and we're going to tag team preach today a little bit. Um, today's message is called The Kingdom. It really is upside down because this whole series is called The Great Reversal. And uh, we're just going to be emphasizing, because Luke 14 and 15 emphasizes it, how everything in the kingdom is kind of reverse what you get in the world. And so this is called the kingdom. It really is upside down. And I guess I go first. That's right. I go first. You is that, that. right? Uh, let's start with a word of prayer. Lord, I, I just pray, God, for every person in this auditorium and every person who's listening through podcasting, that you open up our hearts and our minds, our spirits to receive your word. Free us from the arrogance of thinking we've already arrived and open our eyes to the ways that we have yet to grow. Free us from the addiction that we have to our culture and to a conformity and to easy road living in order that, God, that we may be people who swim upstream and who buck the system and are free to manifest the beauty, the beauty of your very different, very odd, very peculiar, but very transforming kingdom. Let your word go forth in Jesus' name. Amen. All God's people said. Amen. All right, here we go. Here we go. I'm, I'm going to read the first part, and then Scott's going to preach, and he's going to read the second part, and I'm going to preach. Starting with Luke chapter 14, verse 1, it says, One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. Uh, it's really interesting that Jesus went wherever he was invited. He wasn't strapped in with one people group. He went anywhere. Prostitutes and tax collectors one day, Pharisees the next day. I love his versatility. This was a prominent Pharisee, which means he was a muckety-muck, a high up, maybe a, a higher up, a, maybe a leader of a synagogue. And it says he was being carefully watched. They were scouting him out. That's why they invited him there. Uh, you know, since chapter 11, they've realized that this guy's not going to get on their program and they don't like it. So they're looking for ammunition to use against him. Uh, and so they've heard about, you know, him doing these healings on the Sabbath. And so they get a prominent Pharisee, maybe somebody who is able to make decisions about things. And they're going to try to entrap Jesus. That's what's going on here. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. He probably had dropsy where you retain uh, body fluid. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? We've seen that question before. But they remained silent. 
So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Here's this guy, he's, he's, he's not one of the crowd, he's not one of the, he's not one of the invited guests because he leaves as soon as he gets healed, he just shows up, a man. Why was he there at this party? He could have just walked in off the street, I suppose, but most scholars agree that he was part of this setup. That's why they were watching carefully. They bring in this guy off the street. He doesn't know what's going on. They invite Jesus, and they want to see, in front of this prominent Pharisee, is Jesus going to break one of their Sabbath rules? Like he's done, they've at least heard he's done a couple of times before. So this is a trap. Let's see what Jesus is going to do. That's why they don't answer when Jesus says, should I heal him or not? It's like, well, we're waiting to see. Uh, so he asked them that, and they remained silent. So Jesus is fine, and he heals the guy. It says he takes hold of the man. It, it, it really is an embrace. It means an embrace. So Jesus is talking to these Pharisees. They don't answer. He knows what's going on. It's really interesting. He takes the offensive here. It's a trap. You guys want to play this game? Fine. Think I should heal him? You're not going to answer? Fine. He goes over to the guy with dropsy, and he gives him a hug, and as he's hugging him, the guy gets healed. And he sends him out the door. I love it. Then he asks them this. If one of you has a child or even an ox that falls into the well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? But again, they had nothing to say. This wasn't a particularly talkative crowd. Uh, and Jesus is just pointing out the hypocrisy of their position. Look at you guys. If your kid falls down, you help him up on the Sabbath. Even if your ox falls down, you help him up on the Sabbath. Why are you mad at God helping people who fall down on the Sabbath? What's wrong with this picture? And he's just pointing out the hypocrisy and the arbitrariness of their religious rules. Find a religion and you're going to find some arbitrary rules. They major in the minors and they minor in the majors. And then it says, when Jesus noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, they're all kind of trying to get the highest spot, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, don't take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited, and if so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. He's more important than you. Then, humiliated, you'll have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he'll say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. The idea here is this. In the first century, like most centuries and most cultures, uh, there's a social understanding, a hierarchy, a ranking system, and, and, and where you sit at a party kind of manifests your rank. Those who are closer to the host and more important to the party sit closer to the host. You sit at the front of the table where the host is. Uh, and the less important people sit farther from the host. Uh, this is sort of what's behind uh, the mother of James and Zebedee in that one episode in the gospel where she goes to Jesus on the side and says, hey, can James and John sit next to you when the kingdom comes on your right and on your left? You know, and, and what she's asking is, will you just acknowledge that they are the most important people to you? Better than the other disciples? Of course, all the other disciples get mad because they want the place of honor. What Jesus does is he turns this whole system on his head. He says, look, if you come in and you sit as close as you can to the host, it might be that somebody more important than you was invited. And then when they show up maybe a little bit late, the host is going to tell you to get up off of your seat. And now all the other seats have been taken, so you've got to go sit in the lowest spot. How humiliating. Smarter to shoot low, shoot at the lowest spot, and then the host may, if you're important, invite you to, to move up. And Jesus extracts out of this very fallen human practice a kingdom principle. And the kingdom principle is this. 
Those who exalt themselves now will be humbled later on. Those who humble themselves now will be exalted. Kingdom people are supposed to shoot low, lay low, knowing that God will exalt you later on. We're to be a people of humility. He takes a social practice and turns it on its head, reverses it, and says, that is the kingdom. And now, Scotty boy will bring home the message. One take the, it away. Take it away. One of the, one of the ways I... Uh, try to get into a passage like this, especially a story, is to imagine that I was, I'm actually one of the characters in the story. So I'll put myself in the story and I'll say, and I'll just kind of imagine myself as uh, one of the guests, for instance, here. Or maybe I imagine myself as the Pharisee who uh, was prominent in, the, in what he looked like and what he was wearing and the kind of house he was in, or imagine myself as the man with dropsy, or imagine myself as one of the onlookers of this town. And, and as I was doing this, and as I was praying through this passage, and I put myself in these different positions, I came to the conclusion that if I were there in every one of those places and diff- as different persons, I would, have, I would have thought the same thing about Jesus. And it was this, he doesn't fit. He's not doing what we expect him to do. He, he doesn't do what, he doesn't fit the rules. First of all, he comes and he heals, not only heals the man with dropsy, he embraces him. Now, I, the man with dropsy would have said something like, How do, you can't touch me, I'm, I'm unclean. Because dropsy, uh, the rabbinic sources say that dropsy uh, is associated with sexual sin. Now, that's just weird, and it's, you know, they, they liked making all kinds of rules about that kind of stuff. But to touch someone like that would have made the person who touched him unclean. On a, and to do that on a Sabbath was just breaking all kinds of rules. And, and the, so the man with the dropsy was, who are you? What are you doing? Why are you doing this? The host would have said something like, how dare you? Don't you know who I am? I am a prominent Pharisee. I am hosting here, and I set the rules. I set what we talk about. I set the agenda for the day and that was standard practice it was called table talk and it would be two or three or four hours long and and the host would kind of establish what they were going to talk about whether it was politics or religion or social things that were going on and here jesus is he comes in and tells these parables and he he changes all the rules he doesn't fit the guests if i were one of the guests during that time i would have said what in the world are you doing should i even be listening to you And then to think of myself as an onlooker, someone from the village. First of all, I would have known that Jesus was in town. Everybody in these little villages would have known that Jesus and his 12 disciples had come into town. And then he goes and he heals this man of dropsy. Everybody knew who this man with dropsy was. This was a small village that was probably much smaller than this building. This would have been... The, the talk of the town for two or three months after Jesus came in. Everybody would have thought, what is going on here? This doesn't fit. We don't know how to categorize this. It's unexpected. You don't operate this way. It's upside down. Because the God that Jesus is, is upside down. See, it's not just the kid that, that the kingdom is upside down and we've got to follow a set of rules to fit into the kingdom. It's about knowing the God who is upside down. This God who loves me more than I deserve. This God who loves others more than they deserve. This God who loves me even when I reject him. Or then this God who loves others even when they reject him. This God who loves me enough to heal me even when I created my own pain. And what about the God who loves others even when they create their own pain? 
See, this is extravagant. This is unbounded. This is endless. And we don't know what to do with that kind of love because in our world, just like in the world of the first century, we have a tit-for-tat kind of love. I love you to the level that I think you deserve it. And therefore, God can love you to the level that I think you deserve it. You see, we are shaped by this world that, that I think is more like, well, I'm hurt, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. We, we judge, we feel judged, and we judge back. We, we feel rejected, we reject back. We judge those who aren't like us to protect ourselves, and we criticize those who think differently. We discount those who can't contribute to our world. We marginalize, we threaten, we shame, we set up categories for people, and then we put titles upon people and positions and power, and we set up rankings in our society and, and rankings of, well, those are those people and these are these people and these are these people and where are my people? And, and what category do we fall in? You see, that was what was going on that day. One of the, the best ways I've ever seen this illustrated is uh, as, when I was growing up on the farm and we had cattle and we would buy a new cow and put it in the trailer and drive it into the pasture and we'd drive out in the middle of the pasture and we'd open the back gate and the cow would go off into the pasture. And within 30 seconds to a minute, there could be 50 cattle in the field and they would somehow assess the new cow and say, hmm, that cow ranks about 22. And suddenly, cow 20, 21, 22, right in there, would suddenly start fighting the new cow. And it was, it was really unusual. Every time we introduced a new cow into the herd, this would always happen. And if it was an exceptionally large cow, it would be a fight between number one and a new one. And they would duke it out. I mean, not duke it out literally with their hooves. Move. Maybe. <laughs> oh, yeah, come on. You want but to fight? For, you step up? For you want the next peace? 15 to 20 minutes, they'd be fighting. Hey, moo-moo. <laughs> You're taking this way too far. His cows were very smart and also sinful. I, they were very I, I, sinful. I've never heard of cows. You know, it's like this. The, Let's rate the cows. The <laughs> ranking system has is, is infiltrated our whole society, our whole way of thinking in this world, our whole creation. Have this, have, we have this order of how things should be and who fits where and, and, and do I fit there? And if I do, how can I one-up you? Now, and that was what was going on when Jesus was encountering this, this group of 10 or 12 men who were sitting around this table, and at one, uh, it, it was probably a long rectangular table, and it, at one end of the table would have been the position of the prominent Pharisee, and to the right and the left would have been his, the most prominent positions, and the closer you got to it, the more important you were. And you, it was things going through their minds about if I sit closer to people of prominence, that's going to be more beneficial to me, possibly economically. Maybe I'll get a better seat at, at the synagogue and sit in the right place. Maybe I'll get more respect and I can actually teach in the synagogue or I can do this or I can do that. This is, this is something that was just going on through that. And as I inserted myself into the story, I realized that I identify a little bit too much with the guests of that day that Jesus could probably be speaking this parable to me and that I too often enter into a room and I think huh who are the most prominent people in the room I'll go to Chili's and with a group of people and think where do I need to position myself at this table 
to be closest to the funniest person here so I can act like I'm having the most fun. Or I'll enter into a party with a, a bigger group of people and I'll sit, look and say, is there anyone that's semi-famous around here? And think, well, if I act like I know him better or someone like him, that I'm going to... It's a big mistake, dude. <laughs> then I'm going to have more prominence in the other people's eyes. And we even do this even with bigger, uh, more famous people. And we'll say, well, I was in New York on vacation and I saw Donald Trump across the street. Well, who cares? With his toupee. With his toupee. I mean, it's like we see somebody famous and we're like, we saw Justin Morneau. I'm like, well, who cares? He struck out three times last week. <laughs> you know, what difference does it make? But we do this because we, have, we, we, were, we, we were conditioned, we were shaped by the habits of our culture that says if you are in positions of prominence, if you're in the right group, if you know the right people, then you are going to fit in better. You're going to have more power. You're going to have more authority. It's kind of like walking out into your high school or junior high cafeteria and saying, which one of those tables is my table? And you know, you remember how, how I went. There were tables of prominence and authority and people who were popular. And then there were other tables where, that were less than popular. And then there were tables where people were marginalized. And then there were places where people did, who didn't have anybody set. All of this was going on. And this goes on in our, in our, in our minds. And, and we're shaped by these habits. We're shaped by this, this uh, way that we think is actually right side up. We think this is, this is the way the world should be, and this is the way we think God should work. That's what these men were thinking, that, that, that Jesus was going to operate according to a certain set of rules, and he was going to fit into their rules, but Jesus doesn't fit into our rules. The kingdom doesn't work the way we think it should work. It's more upside down than we even can fathom. And if we're going to understand how upside down this kingdom is and up, how upside down this God is, we have to develop upside-down habits. We have to develop habits that are going to help us see how upside-down the world really is. Because we are conditioned to think things a certain way, and we have to recondition our eyes and ears to see and hear what God is doing in this world. And this is the reason we do these adventures that are concentrated uh, times when we focus on a theme and we, we get repetitive and we, we hit hard on a, a specific theme to help chip away at how we've been conditioned and shaped. And during this time, we'll have short-term groups. And I hope you will participate in a short-term group. If you're not a part of one, please come to the Hub and, and check one out. And, or you can go home and check out online. We also have ways for you to develop new habits personally, to get into the Scriptures and to pray in a different way. And this is the reason we have uh, developed this uh, prayer journal, which we have available at the Hub. And in this prayer journal are places like to take sermon notes. And here's a question. It, you know, it's one thing to take sermon notes and go, wow, don't we have a great preacher? My preacher's better than your preacher. I go to Greg Boyd's church. And I, who cares? You're gushing this morning. Who, this? Yeah, but I say, who cares? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. <laughs> oh, yeah? I care. What really matters is the question that's down here is, what do you sense God saying to you through this sermon? Because if you walk out of here and go, wow, that was awesome. I was really moved. But what is God saying to you? What's going on in your life right now? What's going on? What's God moving in your heart about? And then we have a place for you to journal. And there's some questions in here for you to reflect and think about the themes that we are focusing on each week. And then we have 
five days of praying the scriptures. You might think, well, I don't know how to pray very well. Well, here's a process for you to listen to the scriptures and for you to pray through the scriptures. It's an old, old tradition that's of using scriptures to guide prayer life. In addition, we are uh, doing something new this year, uh, or this with this adventure, we're going to be posting a blog on Monday through Friday on our website. And we'll be adding short insights uh, and reflections uh, each um, on Mondays and, Mondays, through fr- Mondays and Fridays through Friday to, um, uh, to continue to help us think about this and get this in us so that we can see things, what the, the, you see God's upside down kingdom. So there's repetition and going at it and, and, you know, it's like Jesus is wanting to shape us and mold us in a new way. And he, he molds us and he was molding them that day with a, an additional story, a parable. He was shaking up their world and, and pulling out their foundations as he was sitting around that table. And he says to them around that table that day in verse 12, then Jesus said to his host, see, he turned to the most prominent person in the room, the one who probably was dressed all uh, with all the regalia and looked important. And he said, when you give a luncheon or dinner, don't, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Here Jesus confronts the very thing they're sitting around the table and doing. He was reshaping their imagination. He confronts a payback system that was very prominent in the time. He says, those who sit together or fit in the right categories, they eat together. They're the ones who have the right to be invited to parties, the rich with rich, the poor with the poor, the middle with the middle, and everything else with everything else, whatever category they fit in. This was very, very common in the time. That was standard practice. And it was part of village life. It, it, you have to imagine when Jesus was sitting around this table, it wasn't like he was talking about telling the rich man to invite some anonymous poor person across the street or across town or in a different part of town. This was a small village. They knew who the poor people were. They knew them by name. They knew each other. They passed each other in the streets and they ignored each other. And he says to them, invite people who cannot repay you. Expect no return payment. He was establishing new upside down rules. He was establishing a new way of thinking that Jesus wants us to understand, and as we move into this, I think Greg has some really good insights to help us see what this looks like. You've been so complimentary to me this morning. Well, you know, you are famous. Thanks, Scott. I appreciate (laughs) that. Flattery words will get you nowhere. Um, You know, this is kind of what's good about having people from different perspectives. Uh, A farm boy from Texas who can use analogies that I never would have thought of. Did you know that cows rate each other? I mean, it's kind of like... You know, they come in, oh, that's a three, that's a ten, that's a, and then they fight each other, they put up their dukes, I, I didn't know that, cows are, are sinful, they need to repent, obviously. <laughs> and it occurred to me that, um, uh, that when, when cows fight, there's always a lot at stake. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry, I apologize. I'm not going to milk that analogy anymore. <laughs> It's utterly ridiculous. 
Okay, 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 moving on, moving on, moving on. Hey, there's a person here, uh, I don't know where you are, and I forget your first name, but you're from Ireland. Raise your hand from Ireland. Where are you, where are you? I, I'm, there you are, sister from Ireland. What is your name? Margaret. Margaret from Ireland. Everyone say hi to Margaret from Ireland. Uh, it's me hometown there. We got a bonding, you know, because I'm Irish, at least part Irish. It's the part I'm most proud of. Arr. It's me lucky charms. Well, Margaret, it's good to have you here. I met Margaret a couple years ago. I was over in Ireland, and um, uh, she, uh, oh, it's a long story, but she ends up over here doing a week of training, and it's good to have you here. Um, she gets the commuter award this morning. Way to go. Now, when I, I thought of that, because when I was in Ireland, it was about two, three years ago, I guess, there's a person who was visiting that church who was an American, and they were just over in Ireland for a little bit. And uh, they came up to me, and they were like, you know, asking me questions about where I lived in the States and whatever. They actually visited Minnesota. And they asked me, do you know anybody by the name of, and I forget what the name was, something like Johnson or Anderson, uh, in, in the Twin Cities? It's like, uh, probably not, you know, it's like... It's kind of a big place. But here's the thing. If you've ever traveled to a foreign country or something, you, you know this, this reality, uh, where if you find another American, um, and you, maybe you, you, you notice the way they talk or the way they dress or something, and, and, and you, you introduce yourself, and it turns out they're from America. And you're in a country where maybe you don't speak the language, even though in Ireland they do speak English, obviously, but with a cool accent. Um, and you don't know the culture or whatnot. You're a little bit alienated, and that creates an immediate bonding with the person uh, from, your, from, from your country. It's like, oh, here's a person like me who understands me, speaks my way, knows my customs. And there's a kind of a bonding that goes on there. Uh, there's something about human nature that just does that naturally. We feel most secure when we're around familiarity. We gravitate towards people who are like us, who look like us, talk like us, think like us, act like us. Uh, we, we create friendships on that basis. And in those friendships, there's always... Uh, you know, kind of a, a mutual beneficial system. We could call it a payback system, a quid pro quo system. It's not a legality thing like, like you owe me because I did something for you. That's not a friendship. That's a deal. But in friendships, it's, you bring something to the table that blesses them, and they bring something to the table that blesses you, and there's sort of a payback system. And it's almost always with people that we're familiar with, that are like us, that we easily understand, our preferred social group, kind of human nature. It's why we are so segregated. We tend to group according to people that are like us, according to either race or culture, language, religious beliefs, socioeconomic status. Those are the people that we just understand most easily. And so those are the people we invite over when we're going to have a party. You know, there's, a, there's a premise that we all share. Jesus in this passage calls that whole thing into question. I don't, think he's, I don't think he's saying it's wrong to ever have parties with friends. I don't think he's saying that. So it's not, it's, he's not saying it's wrong to hang out with people that are like you. He did some of that. But he's certainly saying that if we're going to live in the kingdom and manifest the kingdom, we've, we can't be defined by that. That's normal human behavior, yes, to gravitate towards the familiar and hang out with your preferred social group. That's normal, but we are not to be tyrannized by the normal. We're supposed to be unusual. We're supposed to be oddballs for Jesus, who swim upstream in a lot of ways. And so in contrast to the normal of society, we're to have a heart and a mind that goes beyond our normal, to manifest the kingdom beautiful. And the kingdom beautiful is about noticing people that are off of everyone's radar screen. 
and purposely inviting folks in on your life who maybe don't look like you and don't think like you and are maybe very different from you. They're outside of your preferred social group. Maybe they're outside of your normal. Maybe they're outside of everybody's normal. And maybe they're off of everyone else's radar screen, but kingdom people are called to notice them and invite them in on their life. That's why Jesus says when you, when you throw a party, do it a little bit different. Don't invite your friends that are going to repay you. They'll invite you over and, you know, that, that, that it goes round and round and round. Once in a while, that's good to do with friends. But, but rather, to manifest the kingdom, invite over those who are poor, who can't repay you, and the disabled who can't repay you. In the first century, being disabled and poor and being a beggar and a marginalized person was, was one and the same thing. Invite the folks who are different from your rich neighbors. Reach out, include those other folks. That manifests the kingdom. Now, there's two ways I think we could really seriously misunderstand this passage. One would be to think that Jesus is telling us to be occasional good deed doers. Uh, that we are to, the, speaking to those who are privileged, and many of us are, who have the wealth and the able bodies, and, and if we're not careful, we could understand Jesus to be saying this, once in a while throw a crumb their way. You who have so much just bless those other people. It's a unilateral movement from me to them. I have arrived to share my abundance with you today because I am a nice person. It's a unilateral thing. Now, if you're on the receiving end of that, you'll maybe take what's being handed out because you are a person in need and they have stuff that you need. But it comes across as patronizing and belittling and even dehumanizing. A lot of Christians and a lot of churches have this mindset where they declare, today we're going to go down to the inner city and we're going to clean up their park or we're going to come in and we're going to share our money with you so you can do this or whatever. And that's not bad in and of itself and Lord knows the people mean well, but if it's a one-way street, it comes across as patronizing. I want us to notice that in this passage, Jesus does not say that we're to invite them, the outsiders, the people off the radar screen, the poor and the disabled, we're not to invite them to our festival for their sake, to bless them. He doesn't say, will you go out and bless those people? Now, they are blessed because they get a free meal out of the deal and some fellowship. But Jesus says, do this not for their sake, but for your sake. So you will be blessed. It's not so much that they need you, but you, disciples, you need them. You need them because otherwise you're going to be locked into your normal, and then your normal is not the kingdom. It doesn't manifest the kingdom. You need them uh, to include them in on your life, to expand your life. Uh, there will be things that they will bring to the table. They can't repay you in earthly terms, perhaps, but there are things that, that they're going to bring to the table that are going to kingdomize your life. To have this, uh, this heart and this perception that goes beyond the earthly normal, beyond our preferred social groups and includes outsiders and brings them in. See, that's God's way of living. That reflects God's heart. That's dancing with God. That's the kingdom of God. That is the blessed life. You'll find a joy and a depth there you otherwise would never know. These folks are going to help you bring the kingdom into your life, even as you're sharing your stuff with them. It's not so much that they need us, speaking to people of privilege, but rather we need them. We desperately need them, to include them in on our life. Imagine what would have happened if the Pharisee, rather than just throwing a party where he invites his Pharisaical friends and the religious folks and the wealthy folks, imagine what would happen if he regularly threw parties where he invites people in who are the disabled, who are the poor, who are the outsiders, who are the judge, the, the tax collectors and the prostitutes. And what if he invited them all in? No, he would, of course, lose all of his Pharisee friends. There's always a price to pay for doing the kingdom. 
But I guarantee you this man would be changed if this prominent Pharisee had invited folks like the guy with dropsy in all the time rather than just being a little trap. If he always included people like that, it would change who he is. It would change how he looks at people. It would free him from some of his judgments about people. It might free him from his, his religious bondage. He would become more humane. He'd become more godly. He might get saved. as the king. And I mean by that, bringing kingdom wholeness into his life. Because he certainly would start to get in on the inside of their life and it would expand him as he's freed from the, from the narrowness of his own pharisaical worldview. He needs them. He would be the benefactor. Yes, they get a meal out of the deal and some other things, but the main benefactor is him, the Pharisee, the religious person, the insider, the mainstream. We need those who are outside of that stream in and our life for our sake. If we're going to be manifesting the reign of God and participating in the, the reign of God. I, I uh, the last half a year or so, have been occasionally having these Bible studies at this apartment complex for people who would otherwise be homeless. And in this apartment complex, a lot of the folks have, have special needs and disabilities. Uh, not all of them, but uh, I was invited. Someone in my church lives there, and, and this church lives there, and so they invited me to, to uh, just kind of come and, and do a Bible study. And um, so we go there, and, and I, I have my bongos. They asked me to bring the bongos, and we have a guitar and a piano, and a two-string guitar and a piano. And we, we, there's usually four or five, at the most six people, and we sing some songs, and, uh, and then I share a little bit, and we have a little discussion. And it's not any of the kind of music that we hear at Woodland Hills Church or probably in most other churches. And uh, the dialogue isn't at all what we'd normally have here at Woodland Hills Church or most other churches. These are, are just special people. And you might say, oh, how nice for our senior pastor to go and, and have this Bible study at this apartment complex for these special people. But I am here to promise you that the main benefactor is me. When I go there, I am just, there's, there's, a, there's a dimension of the kingdom. There's a dimension of the kingdom that these folks minister to me that, that, that would otherwise be missing in my life. Uh, there's something in me that just gets expanded and deepened when I'm around these folks just sharing this. You know, we're often in, in, impressed with the big, but I think God is more impressed with the small. We're often impressed by the charismatic personality and, 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 and the, the sharp person and the person's got this skill or that skill and the great music and the wild bang boom church steeple or what have you. That, oh, God's really moving. Look at that sizable, measurable impact. And God uses everything. So I'm not here to demean that, but I'm telling you that God is more on those who are outside than those who are inside. You'll find a dimension of the kingdom on the marginalized and those who are off the radar screen than you will among the crowds where everyone is just the super healthy, super happy, happy Jesus people. There, there's, 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 there's a dimension of truth and life and wholeness that folks who are outside the mainstream can bring to those of us on the inside. We need them. Able-bodied people, we need disabled people in our life. Uh, those of us who live in the mainstream, we need those outside the mainstream in on our life. Those of us who are wealthy, and most of us who are listening to this are by world standards wealthy. We need poor folks in on our life. Uh, we need to ha have, have some space in our life to be inviting them in, to have some kind of relationship there. And I don't have a, have a formula for what that's got to look like. But individually and in our small groups, we've got to be asking this question, how do we free ourselves from the myopia, the narrowness, of being around simply our preferred people group. How do we free ourselves to really manifest the kingdom? And it's not about us being good deed doers to them. It's rather about the fact that we need them in, in our life to expand and to grow. 
I love, last time I was at this, this apartment complex, I came back and I started sharing with my wife what had gone on, and I began to cry because it was just so moving and so beautiful. In some ways, precisely because that environment is so stripped of all the normal world-measuring things about wowness and all the religious measurements of where God is, it's, 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 just, it's raw kingdom. I feel in some ways it's more authentic kingdom than what I'm doing right now. And then God, God uses what I'm doing right now, but this just feels so authentic and it moves me in, in, in different ways. So it's not a unilateral, let's be nice to the people who are unfortunate. It's rather a matter of us recognizing our desperate need for them in, in our life. That was the first misunderstanding uh, of this teaching. The second one is this. If we're not careful, we might think that Jesus is just talking about something we're supposed to do on occasion. Uh, we'll have uh, once a year let's be nice to poor people Sunday, or once a year, let's acknowledge people with disabilities Sunday, or something of the sort. Or once a year, let's reach out to the most judged sinners Sunday, or something of the sort. And that will come across as patronizing, but it also will come across as entirely missing the point of this passage. Jesus uses the wedding feast as his analogy because it's normal in life to have weddings. But his point isn't just about weddings or something we're supposed to do on occasion. He's giving us a prescription here about how to live in a kingdom mindset that leads to the resurrected life. It's a lifestyle sort of thing. We're to live with, with our radar up to detect the folks that are off of everyone else's radar screen. And to have a heart that's willing to move outside of our comfort zone and our convenience zone to include them in on our life. However, in whatever capacity that, that might be. It's not a one-time occasional thing. It's a lifestyle, mindset, heart-set sort of thing where we walk in this. A couple of Sundays ago at the end of a, a service, and here's just an example of what it looks like. I, I was talking about uh, you know, swimming upstream in the culture and the kingdom is a beautiful revolt and standing up against tanks and things of that sort. And there's this young girl, 10, 12 years old, I would imagine, I think she said she was in third grade, but I don't remember. But she came up afterwards, and she asked me, this is one of the heroes that we're trying to train over there in children's ministry. And she goes, Pastor Boyd, I'm just wondering, uh, how do I do that? You know, in my third grade, how do I, how do I stand up against tanks? I, you know, what tanks do I stand up to? And I just was so blessed that there's a kid asking this question. When most kids are going to be obsessing about who likes me and who doesn't like me, if we can train kids at this age not to worry about that because Jesus likes you, and, and, and you can be a kingdom hero here if you can swim upstream in your third grade culture. And so I just said to her, well, you know, here's one way to start. Um, when you go on the playground, everyone's playing with their friends, their preferred social group. And, um, but I bet if you look carefully, if you have the mind for it, you'll notice a few of the kids who don't have anyone to play with. Why don't you just sort of skedaddle over there and play with those kids? Introduce yourself and be their friends. And maybe they're the unpopular kids who just don't look the right way or whatever. And maybe even your popular friends are going to reject you for it. That's no big deal. You've made a new friend. And you're doing a Jesus thing. And when you go to the lunchroom, as Scott was saying, everyone's got their little cliques, their little people groups, all their social hierarchy. But you'll find some kids, if you, I said, if you look for it, I bet you'll find some kids who don't have anyone to sit with. Why don't you go sit with them and introduce yourself? And just become their friend. And maybe invite them over to your group if, they, if, if that's a safe thing to do. Otherwise, just sit with them. And that may seem like a little thing, but I'm telling you, that's a huge thing. That's a kingdom thing. That's a beautiful thing. That's a courageous thing when you're in third grade. And to the people who are on the outside, the marginalized people, 
It's all the world. I, my son was one of those who never could, just couldn't learn the rules about how do you get on the inside of a social group? How do you play that game? Some people are good at it. He was never good at it. And so he was one of the ones who was always on the playground by himself and always sitting in the lunchroom by himself. It's the loneliest thing in the world where you hear the crowd down there laughing and you're just eating your peas by yourself. One day he came home from school, I think it was seventh grade, and he had a smile on his face which was so unusual. I asked him, I go, how did school go? Normally I didn't want to ask that question because it wasn't a happy answer. But I saw the smile, I go, how did school go? And he goes, someone sat with me today in lunch. See, that's kingdom. <laughs> that's like, don't tell me that's a small thing. That's humongous. That's humongous. That's the kingdom. And see, we really don't grow up much from third grade, do we? It, we're just as clicky as, as, as we were in third grade for, on the whole. We have our preferred people groups. And we have our groups, and there's still the people out there eating the peas by themselves. that no one even notices because we're too busy working the system. That's normal human behavior, and it's not wrong to have parties with your friends and dinners with your friends. Jesus did that, but there's got, we can't be tyrannized by the normal of the world because we're called to establish a new normal, an all-inclusive normal, a normal that reflects the outrageous love of God, a normal that's willing to be inconvenienced and to move outside of our comfort zone and maybe risk a little bit of awkwardness to build bridges with people who don't look like us and don't talk like us and maybe don't think like us and maybe they're not able-bodied like us and maybe they're not wealthy like us, but we need we need them. We need them. That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom. It's all about the kingdom. I want to close this way. This week, as I was uh, just beginning to put together this message, uh, I learned of a blog that was written by a young lady that goes to our church. Her name is Carly. This is a picture of Carly. And she goes to our church regularly, has been here for, for some time. And, and she wrote a blog, a beautiful blog, uh, that someone drew my attention to it. And she didn't know what we're preaching on this week. And it happens to be exactly what we're preaching on this week. And God is, I think, using her in a powerful, powerful way. And she gave me permission to read this blog and to share this with you. Because the place we got to start, if we're going to really practice this mindset, we have to start here. If we can't do it here, we can't do it anywhere. And so the question is, who's on our radar screen here and how do we interact with people who are maybe outside of our normal, how do we interact with them? And so this is to the church body of Woodland Hills Church. Let's listen to this. She says, what I have to say today may offend some people. It may make others shout for joy. I'm not, I'm not going to pretend that I'm not hurt. I'm so glad, Carly, that you're not going to pretend we just returned from our church service, that's Woodland Hills Church, and an apple orchard, we stopped at on our way home. We all love apple crisps, so it seemed like a great day to pick a few apples and make something we all like so much. If I could give you a picture, it would not be one you would, it would be one you would not like to look at. It would be titled, The Cruel Stare. In the picture, I'm doing what I love with my family. I'm at church where I go to learn. I go to see people I know. I go to listen to the music I can't sing. I go to hear the Bible that I can't hold myself. She has what's called Rett syndrome, uh, physical disability. I'm eager to be there. However, I sit on my couch at home today, away from the stares and pauses that people give me whenever I'm away from the shelter of home. I don't think I look odd. In fact, I'm told I'm a beautiful person. And yet I can't go anywhere without being stared at. I'm not talking about a casual glance. 
I'm very aware that people are staring at me. They act as if I don't belong there. The children stare as if I'm an object of curiosity. Parents do their own cruel work by ignoring their children who are staring and pointing and gawking. It's not the kind of stares other people get who are interesting or who are wearing something funny. Listen to this. It's the kind of stare that you would give when you're looking at a car crash filled with curiosity and the gratitude that it's not your problem but the freedom to stare as long as you feel like it until the accident victim gets wheeled away. What a word picture that is. The picture is the reality. It's not okay to stare at someone out of cruel curiosity. It's, it is my experience and the reality of many like us who live with a physical disability. It's hard to believe that Jesus would be impressed with the way humans have treated each other. Jesus had great compassion for those who were mistreated and suffered in their bodies. He loved them. He showed compassion to people who were overlooked and begged for food because they couldn't get their own. How can we be so off course? I love this line. We need each other. We need each other. We who are able-bodied need the wisdom and understanding that many people who live with great struggles have. Amen to that. And those of us who live with great physical struggles need the wise understanding of friends and those who are stronger than we are. I know that most people don't intend to be cruel, but I'm feeling too sad to share more about this today. Carly. I had some dialogues with Carly throughout the week uh, asking for permission to use this. And in her first response, I just told her how much I loved the blog, and she responded this way. She says, I'm trying to be bold when I write, just like you. <laughs> it's a massive compliment. Thank you. It's, not the kind of, it's kind of scary sometimes, but I found people are really excited to hear what I have to say. So I'm inspired. I would be happy to have my writing used as an illustration. I want people who, like me, are silent to be seen in a different light. It will be fun in heaven to be the same as everyone else. I think it will be free there in many ways. Amen. Amen. Mm. Thanks. Amen. In case you're wondering, Carly's blog is, is spiritdances.wordpress.com. Thanks for giving me that. Spiritdances.wordpress.com. Marvelous writing of this young woman. I want to end this way. Um, we have to acknowledge how we have been socially conditioned to see who we see and not see who we don't see. And as kingdom people, we may need to turn from that. The word there is Repentance. I'd like to actually start by, uh, by doing this on behalf of, of Woodland Hills Church. Now, Carly's here right now, and I don't want to embarrass her or anything, but, but I just think it would be appropriate if I, just as a representative of Woodland Hills Church, were to ask Carly to forgive us, to forgive us. And I thank you for being strong. Appreciate your courage. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Carly, for sharing all of
for sharing that beautiful writing with us. And, and on behalf of all of us to make this commitment, it's not just about Carly, it's to everyone that's represented by Carly, the people who so easily are off the radar screens. When we hold hands to pray, we often reach right across them. When we greet one another, we often just greet right across them. The folks who are alone in the lunch line, alone in the lunch room, alone on the, uh, on the, on the parking lot or in the recess uh, park, the people that are just so often over, overlooked. And can we commit to, yes, we have our friends and our preferred social groups, but to live with a mindset that goes beyond that. And to be the, 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 the ones who notice the Carlys of the world. And to know that this isn't about us being nice to them. This is about us needing them. And to manifest the kingdom that has a party where everybody, everybody is included. Everybody is included. Holy Spirit, will you right now just seal this on our heart, this commitment on our heart, to turn from the ordinary normal of the world. And God, give our small groups wisdom about what they can do to be moving outside of the narrowness of their normal. And give us individuals wisdom about how we can move outside of the narrowness of our normal. And give us new eyes to see the invisible people of the world and new hearts to love the invisible people of the world and a will that's willing to be inconvenienced uh, and, and discomforted uh, to and, and reach out and build bridges with and include the invisible people of the world because, God, they're so visible to you. They're so visible to you, and in some ways we only see how visible you are in them. Lord God, expand our hearts, seal our commitments, and thank you for Carly and the gift that she and others like her are to us. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Carly, thank you so much for, for your wisdom for sharing. Amen. Would the prayer teams come up if you have any need whatsoever that you'd like to have prayed for? Come on up uh, and spend some time in prayer. God bless you guys. Go out. S spend some time in the gathering area practicing what we just preached. In Jesus' name.